This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Galatians chapter 3, the Word of God tonight, Galatians 3. And uh, you might want to stick your finger as well in Romans 6. We will be looking at uh, those two passages tonight. If you can handle more than one, (laughs) you can turn to uh, both of those. I hate to lose somebody by having them turn to a second passage, but I think this audience can do that. So I appreciate the hungry hearts here tonight. And uh, good to see you tonight. Let me mention a couple of things uh, there at the back table. Last night, uh, we uh, began to mention the importance of focus. I'm sure it won't be the only time we deal with it this week, uh, but it's such an important truth. There's a a new book on the table. In fact, this is a uh, newly out since the December. So this is uh, the newest book. It's called The Liberating Life of Jesus. The subtitle is Finding Freedom in Christ Between the Two Extremes of Law and License. And so we saw last night the importance of recognizing the focus has to be on Jesus. Obviously, we want to live right, but if you want to live right, you've got to get to Jesus <laughs> because he's the only one who can empower you to live right. And so the focus cannot be then on the law. That's where we kind of get off. And unfortunately, there are those that react to that and uh, let the law kills. And some of them go far the other direction into a relativism. Uh, Sometimes you'll hear the word license. That's a tragedy as well. The flesh hurts. Whether it's religious flesh or irreligious uh, irreligious flesh, it's death and it is damaging. And so, uh, tragically, uh, many times we get in these pitfalls of, of lawism, sometimes called legalism, and sometimes that word is greatly misused. But on the other hand, there is a lawism that's out there. On the other hand, there's that relativism uh, that uh, kind of they switch, you know, from one side over to just doing whatever you want in the name of freedom. Well, that's not it either. Freedom's found in a person. The Son shall set you free. That's four, three or first, uh, two or three verses right after it says, the truth shall set you free. Why? Because Jesus is the truth, personified. He is the one. He is the liberating life. And so this is going into that thought in detail uh, in uh, this book. There's another book on the table. It's called The Wind of the Spirit. I don't think I had this with me last time. It was out of print. It was originally published in 2003, and we brought it, uh, brought it back into print. Back in the 90s, God had awakened me in early 90s, 92, 93, to the importance of God dependence, that's faith, for spirit enabling, that's grace. That was a great awakening, it really was. It was an awakening to, to the power of the spirit. And because of that, I began to, uh, to read. I wasn't much of a reader, tragically, until that time. But in the 90s, I was reading Andrew Murray and A.T. Pearson and A.J. Gordon and some of these men who wrote just some tremendous uh, uh, works on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And they kept saying, look, you need to understand the truth of John 14, 15, and 16. And I began to note, author after author, they're all saying John 14, 15, and 16. And uh, that and some other things, the Lord burdened me in January of 1999 to burrow down into those three chapters. I was also very interested in Acts 1 and, uh, Acts 1 and 2. I'm talking too fast because I don't want Monday night to go along. But at any rate, uh, I wanted to burrow down in uh, uh, Acts 1 and 2 as well because I wanted to know if what happened on the day of Pentecost could happen again. So those five chapters, John 14, 15, and 16, Acts 1 and 2, those, only, uh, those are only 43 days apart as far as events. And so I read those chapters day after day, week after week, and I thought, I don't get it. I just don't get it. 
I have no idea why these men are saying, you've got to understand this. And I remember telling the Lord, Lord, if you don't open my eyes, I will get passed by. I don't get it. That's why we sang tonight what we sang, folks. God has to open our eyes. And uh, so I kept reading. And sometime in March, so now it's about three months into it, somewhere in the United States, I don't remember where, <laughs> I pulled into some church, set up my, uh, my fifth wheel that I had in those days, and uh, got it all set up, sit in my rocking chair because I have to move in order to think. That's why you see me moving around while I preach. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, so I, I'm rocking in my chair, and I had my Bible open to Acts 1 and 2, and God, as only God can do, began to open up the truth of his word. It's like it exploded. <laughs> and oh my, it was just, it was, it was, it was amazing. And, and it quickly uh, just spilled right into John 14, 15, and 16 on a level that, uh, uh, I don't know, how, how do you explain this? It's, it's like your brain is going to short circuit. You know, I've heard some of the old preachers say that, you know, the word of God is inexhaustible. And I remember thinking in my youthful arrogance, well, what do you mean? I've been to grad school. I've memorized my chapter content. What do you mean inexhaustible? <laughs> Oh, total arrogance. But at any rate, when God began to peel back those layers, it just, it was, you know, it's inexhaustible. And uh, it spilled into John chapter 6. And then it opened up Galatians 2.20. That, that book, uh, that verse I knew was key, but I didn't know what that meant. That just uh, unlocked. And that opened up Romans 6 and Romans 8. And then, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it was a, a marvelous time, March to May. And it was so uh, rich in my own heart. I was just, uh, it was just overflow kind of time. And I was coming back home to Ann Arbor, and my brother-in-law, the pastor at the time, asked me to preach. And I rolled into that parking lot at 6 o'clock uh, Sunday night. I walked straight in for that service. I didn't have any outline. This was just, you know, in the study form. You know, for me, the pastors, they got to come up with sermons all the time. But evangelists, we get to chew on it. We get to just, you know, ruminate on it for months. And so I hadn't had any outlines yet, but all this was in my heart. And I, I got up and the Lord just said, preach what's on your heart. And I preached. Uh, there was no outline. I just, you know, it just spilled out. I thought I preached 45 minutes. I really did. You know, I preach all the time. And it was almost two hours. <laughs> Hopefully that won't happen to you tonight. But... Uh, at any rate, that uh, much of what the Lord did in my heart in those days was then written and published in this book called The Wind of the Spirit in Personal and Corporate Revival. I call this an introduction to the ministry of the Holy Spirit because that's just where I was in my own journey. And uh, uh, so uh, uh, it uh, starts, the first two-thirds of the book would be dealing with the ministry of the Holy Spirit as it relates to personal revival. What does that mean? The last third of the book deals with corporate revival when God steps down from heaven. A lot of revival history in those chapters and greater works and those kinds of things. And so uh, those books are available. If you have any questions, feel free to see me afterwards about it. I'm so glad we sang tonight the song Open My Eyes. That is what we need. Uh, the text we're about to look at tonight, uh, you know, it's true with any part of the Word of God. It's certainly true with the detail uh, that we're going to see tonight, especially when we uh, get into the Romans 6 part of this. Now, let me just say this. I don't know that we have to say or think that it's intellectually deep, because that means it's dependent on us. You could say it's spiritually deep. In other words, without the help of the Holy Spirit, we don't get it. But you know when he opens your eyes, 
You see, you see. All right, that's what we need tonight. And so let's read our text and let's pray and ask the Spirit of God to open our eyes tonight. So Galatians chapter 3 is what I'll read just uh, to begin with here. Galatians 3 verse 26. These are uh, verses that summarize uh, really Romans 6, 7, and 8. And so I want to start here. It says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For... As many of you as have been baptized. So it's tied right back to that word faith. When you put your faith in Jesus, here's what happened. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on, which is your word translated endued over in Luke 24, have been endued with or have put on Christ. Now, friends, whatever that's talking about, that's huge. When you put your faith in Jesus, you were baptized into Christ and you were endued with Christ. And because of that union, you're in him and you're endued with him. Because of that truth, we have access to Jesus. He sits on the throne at this moment in his glorified body but his very life, by his own spirit, can be streamed right into our humanity right now. And so I want to speak tonight on life streaming <laughs> from the throne. Let's pray. Will you join me? Let's ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. Blessed Holy Spirit, we do thank you that you are the eye-opener. And we ask you as the spirit of wisdom and revelation to reveal Christ to us tonight. That you take the words that are before us and the truth that is before us. And Lord, show us the Grand Canyon truth that's represented. May we see the realities that connect to the words. And thus, may we see the living word, Jesus. And Lord, as we see him, may we be changed into his image. Lord, thrill us tonight with the provision of being in Christ and endued with Christ. And so, Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus once again, and the victory that he won at the cross over the enemy, manifest that now in, Lord, every way. Protect from deception, protect from distraction, strengthen in mind and in body, and, Lord Jesus, may you be honored. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I entered evangelism in January 1992. A lot of miles over these years, a lot of miles. I've never added them up. I should sometime. Uh, Crisscrossing uh, the country, occasionally flying, uh, but most of the time driving. And uh, uh, once in a while, you have a, a tour of meetings out on the West Coast. And so uh, if you had enough meetings to uh, uh, go ahead and bring your rig, you know, it takes, it takes half a week, if not more, to get out there, you know, and so you lose a lot of days to travel that way. And occasionally we find ourselves having trouble uh, travel on a Sunday. And so at 11 o'clock we'd, you know, hit some town, hope for a church, and we'd hit it and hope for the best. Uh, sometimes it was quite interesting, but nonetheless, we'd catch a service. Well, now we can live stream. We can catch our home church, Ann Arbor Baptist Church, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And here I am driving down, you know, Interstate 40 in New Mexico. And uh, uh, wife's got the, uh, uh, the phone live streaming right there into Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I'm watching our pastor preach as we're driving down the road. Well, I'm trying to watch the road too, but <laughs> you catch my point. It's amazing. You know, here's what's going on in that auditorium in Michigan. That, the little hook here does not like me. So, we'll stick it in the back pocket. 
stick the cord in so I don't have a tail. And everybody say, oh, look at his tail. <laughs> that didn't sound right. Uh, <laughs> scratch that off the live stream. <laughs> okay. That's one bad thing about live stream. At any rate, uh, but it's amazing. You know, we're driving down the road. Here we are in another state, and you're watching what's going on in the auditorium. Well, I tell you, God, as I mentioned yesterday, had this live stream thing figured out a whole lot sooner than mankind ever figured it out. And we have the privilege of accessing the throne life of Jesus to, to lead us and to energize us as we walk this planet called Earth. Absolutely stunning. Now, friends, we see in the text, you got joined to Jesus. You're baptized into him, and you have put on Christ. And since you are joined to Jesus Christ, you can life stream from the throne. Now, in order for us to respond in faith to that, we have to be convinced of it. That's why the Bible says in Romans 6, you've got to reckon. You've got to allow the Spirit of God to convince you that what is so is so. Okay, so how can this be? How can we live stream from the throne? I want us to see tonight three reasons, and let's let God's reasoning, God's own reasoning, that's a neat thought, build our faith. First of all, as we see in our text here in Galatians, number one, God identifies you with Christ's life. This is amazing. The Father identifies believers in Jesus with Christ, with Christ's life. It says in our text, for you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So when you understood that sin is the problem, hell is the consequence, Christ alone is the answer. And you put your faith in Jesus, not just believing about him, but depending on him to save you. At that moment, you became, as it says here, uh, a child of God. Uh, you uh, put your faith in Christ. And then it describes what happened at that moment, among many other salvation truths. These are the biggies. These are the umbrella truths. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, many ask the question, is that water baptism? Well, there's sometimes a debate on whether or not a passage is talking about water baptism or what we call spirit baptism or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you know, the answer is very simple to know what a passage is talking about, water or spirit. If the person doing the baptizing is a human being, and if the element being baptized into is H2O, it's water baptism. <laughs> But if the person doing the baptizing is deity, and the element being baptized into is deity, well, then that's spirit baptism. Now, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but there comes one after me. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So water baptism pictures spirit baptism. That's the big point. Uh, what water baptism pictures. Now, notice here, this passage is obviously spirit baptized, uh, baptism because it talks about being baptized into Christ. So we're dealing with deity. And it says here that uh, as many of you as have been immersed into Jesus have put on or been endued or clothed with Jesus. Two simple thoughts here, and then I'll give an illustration that I trust to help us get this. You are now in Christ, and Christ by his Spirit is in you. That's the simplicity. When you get saved, you're in him, and he's in you. Now, if you take a sponge and you immerse it 
dip it, place it into water. As you immerse the sponge into water, immediately it's clothed with, enveloped with the water as the water moves right into the sponge. So in like fashion, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit baptized you into Christ. And as you got plunged into Jesus, you were clothed with, enveloped with, endued with Jesus as he placed his own spirit right into you. And that's why the first truth here, God's reasoning, God identifies you now with Christ's life because you're in him and Christ is in you. And so God himself identifies you in Jesus, with Jesus. Both are true. Secondly, God identifies you with Christ's history. And if you have your uh, finger over there in Romans 6, now you can flip over there. Uh, we won't be coming back to Galatians. Romans 6 now gives us some of the details of what is mentioned there in Galatians as kind of an umbrella truth. Now, underneath that umbrella, we have some details here that are really rich, and uh, uh, much of it's right here in Romans. There's a piece of it that's in Ephesians, but uh, I think we can just look at Romans here. God identifies you with Christ's history. In other words, it's pretty simple. When you got placed into Christ, that means you got placed into his history, now, friends, most of the time when we talk about salvation, we talk about a new future, and it is new. We have a new destiny, big time. But friends, you got baptized into Jesus, and when you got placed into Jesus, you are placed into his history. We're going to see it spelled out here in a moment. That means not only did you get a new future, friend, you got a new past. Now, let that one sink in, since we're talking about immersion. Uh, let it sink in. Little play on words, I forget it. Uh, <laughs> now, friends, you got a new history. Now, what does that mean? Well, three facts. Two are mentioned in uh, Romans, and then one is emphasized in Ephesians. Three facts. The first is you died with Christ. If you got placed into his history, then you got placed into his death. Now, look at verse 3. Here's the detail. Know ye not. Now, anytime the Bible says know ye not, it means probably you don't know this. <laughs> okay, so this is why we have to ask the Spirit of God to open our eyes. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ. So there's our tie into Galatians 3. Now it goes into detail. We're baptized into his death. There it is. See, when you got placed into Jesus, you got placed into his history, that means you got placed into his death. It's what it says. Don't you know that when you were immersed into Christ, you were immersed into his death? Now, look up at verse 2, just right prior to that. It says, how shall we that are dead? Literally, who have died? Now, notice, to sin. Ah. So verse 3 is telling us the way that happened is you got plunged into Jesus, therefore you got plunged into his death, and when you did, you died with Christ unto sin. Now let's talk about that. You see, you died with Christ unto indwelling sin. That is, through death with Christ, the old you, the old core of you, your human spirit, we'll see here in a moment, was severed from 
the old sin master or that old master of indwelling sin. You say, well, what in the world are you talking about? All right, now look at verse 6. This is neat. It says, knowing this. Here's something else you probably don't know. God's telling us, hey, you got to get this. Knowing this, that our old man, that's an interesting term, is crucified, literally has been crucified, with him, referring to Jesus. So this is totally parallel to Galatians 2.20. I am crucified, but it's telling us which part of the I got crucified. You see, it says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified. Look, you got to figure this out. we got to think it through. If there's a crucifixion, there's a death. And if there's a part of us that died, well, what part got killed? Because somebody got killed. Because <laughs> that's what crucifixion is. It's, it's, it's death, <laughs> And the person who's dying, uh, you know, they're being put to death. Okay, so what part of us got put to death? What part of us got killed? And uh, here in Romans 6, 6, it tells us it's a part of us called the old man. Now, we've got to figure out who that is. It's not your dad. <laughs> Hope you don't use that terminology for your dad. But nonetheless, uh, it says our old man, well, physical death is when your soul gets separated from your body. The best I can tell, that has not occurred for anyone in this audience yet. <laughs> All right, so that means we're not talking about soul or body. There's only one part of us left then that that could be talking about. Are you with me? It's your human spirit. Now, if you're only a dichotomist, you've got a problem here. <laughs> but uh, uh, you see... Physical death is when that soul separates from the body. That has not occurred. But something, some part of you got killed. It says it's the old man. It means it's got to be the unregenerated human spirit. That's the part that got killed. Now, in order for there to be a death, there has to be a separation. Just as in physical death, the soul separates from the body. Okay, what are we getting separated from? That's verse 2. You died to Sin. Now, don't miss this. It doesn't say sins. The plural emphasis is in Romans 1 through 5, dealing with justification. Oh, rich truth, as we sang about tonight. But Romans 6 through 8 moves from the plural to the singular. And it's not talking about sins. It's talking about that influence that compels us to commit sins. Romans 7 words it this way. Sin, singular which dwells in us. That's why I call it indwelling sin. Ah, so sin which dwells in us, and look at verse 6, it's personified. Okay, so the human spirit's personified, uh, being called the old man. So knowing this, that our old man uh, has been crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Uh, I'll come back to that phrase, that henceforth we should not know to serve sin. So this sin in the singular is personified here as someone who is served. And so we're told in this text that we're crucified. The old man uh, is crucified. We, we die, according to verse 2, to sin. Why? So that the body where sin operates, well, that's our human body. Did you know that sin can't sin without a body? <laughs> and according to Romans 6, verse 16 and verse 19, to get a little bit more specifically, sin can't sin without body parts. Eyes. Tongues, ears, hands, feet, okay, that's the simplicity of it, okay, so we're crucified, this old man is crucified, dies with Christ 
to sin so that the body, the turf for the activity of that guy might be destroyed. Don't misunderstand that word. It means deprived of its power so that we henceforth no longer serve that sin master. In other words, if you think of it this way, the human constitution is body, soul, spirit. So you got just like the target uh, logo, uh, three circles there. So the outer circle is body, the next circle in is soul. That inner circle is spirit. That's the old man. But that old man, the bullseye part of that uh, uh, imagery, is joined to another circle there. That's the sin master indwelling sin, this, this bent, this something in us. You know, the songwriter says, take away our bent to sinning. Okay, that's the reference here to indwelling sin. Because the old man is in a union. You see, you can't die to sin unless there's a union with sin to get separated from. Okay, so there is a union between the bullseye part of our being, the core, that old man, that unregenerated human spirit, with this old sin master. So you can draw that circle next to it, which means it's overlapping into the soul body circles. That's what we just saw, saw here, the body where sin operates. Okay, so there's a union between the spirit part of us, the old man, and this sin master and that union is forged. Prior to salvation, you can't get away. Try as you may, you're stuck, you're bonded, you are joined, you're in a relationship with that sin master, that task master. We're chained, we're shackled to that master. And we can't get away on our own. We need Jesus to do it for us. So drop down in the text in Romans 6 to verse 10. Here it is, one of the greatest statements in the New Testament, in my opinion. For in that he died, here it is, he, Jesus, died unto sin once. Now that is not the same truth as 1 Corinthians 15, 3, glorious gospel to sinners passage, Christ died for our sins. He's the only one that can do that. And he did. But in this passage, he died unto sin. Now that means there had to be a moment when Jesus came into union with sin in order to die unto sin. Does that make sense? Okay, when was that? That's the cross. You remember we read in the Gospel accounts that uh, from 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the entire earth went dark. That is quite amazing. Why did that happen? Why did Jesus, at the end of those three hours, cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, if you stop and think about it, that's pretty strong. That's the Son crying out to the Father. Why have you forsaken me? Why did he say that? Friends, it's because in those hours, for the very first time in all of eternity, God the Son, functioning as the Son of Man, We'll see this brought out, Lord willing, more tomorrow night. Functioning as the Son of Man to represent us was separated from the Father. Now remember, the essence of death is separation. So here's God the Son separated from the Father. Why? Because he's in union, contact with your sin and mine. You ever wonder why Jesus agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane? I think a lot of times we misunderstand that. He was not running from the cross. He came to save sinners. But it was the way of the cross. For the very first time in all of eternity, Jesus, this Lamb of God, without blemish and without spot, sinless, 
the Son of God, but now functioning as the Son of Man to represent us, is separated from the Father because he's in an actual contact with the sins of the entire race. That means from the very first Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to the last human being who will ever live, the sins of the entire race. Let this truth go in. The sins of the race was put on Jesus, and that is why our Bible calls him the last Adam. He's never called the second Adam. He's called the second man. We'll see that in a second. He's called the last Adam. Why? The sins of the race were put on him, and he took it all to the cross. Amen. And friends, that's why there was agony in the garden, because he was going to be separated from the Father, which he was, and joined to the sins of the race. It's hard for us to even comprehend this. We've got to have spiritual help to get it. I mean, just think of your own sin put on him, and then multiply that by the billions. Now, before he voluntarily gave up his spirit, he said, it is finished. And he died unto sin once. Now, here's the beauty. The moment you believed on Jesus, you were baptized into Christ. We already saw it. When you got baptized into Christ, you got baptized into his history. That means you got placed into his death. And so there in the immaterial part of your being, which is just as real as the material part of your being, your human spirit, that old man was shackled, chained, joined in a relationship with that indwelling sin master, tainting everything you did prior to salvation, making it at best self-righteousness, which is only a filthy rag that falls short of the glory of God. And so there's that union. But when you, were, uh, when you believed on Jesus, you're placed into Jesus, placed into his death. And at that moment... The cross came in, as A.J. Gordon puts it, like a giant knife and cut right through all of those shackles and set you free. Look at verse 7. It says, for he that is dead, he who has died, has been freed, liberated from sin. From the sin master. Not sins, but the influence that compels us to commit sins. You see, prior to salvation, you were joined, you were stuck, you were in a bond, it was forced slavery, but you got set free. Now, that guy still hangs around in your soul and body level, that's why we still have trouble. But your human spirit, your core, the real you, got set completely free. You were unshackled. That old relationship is over forever. That death... That severance is permanent. You know, my wife and I have lived out of a trailer much of our uh, married lives on the road. We hit the road in 92, got our first trailer in 95, and uh, had a trailer until just last fall. I finally got rid of that uh, after five trailers and all of that. But nonetheless, uh, in uh, 2009, we got a house in Michigan because you may remember the 2008 economy crashed. And in Michigan, things really crashed because of the auto industry and all of that. And the houses got really cheap. In fact, you could buy a house in Detroit for a buck. <laughs> you wouldn't want it. But nonetheless, uh, they were going in Detroit for a buck. Now, this wasn't in Detroit, and it was more than a buck. But, man, it was still a great deal and all that. Well, whatever. We don't hardly need a house because we're, we're, we're on the road. But the Lord led and whatever. And so we, we bought this house in December of 2009. Well, we discovered that winter because, you know, it was, 2000, uh, it was wintertime. And so we had a couple of weeks off because it was holidays. And we discovered that we were living with squirrels. 
like in the house, <laughs> well, in the attic, and they're waking me up in the morning. I'm like, man, this is a bummer. And uh, so, you know, uh, then I'm hitting, I hit the road again, so it wasn't until that spring that I uh, was back home, and uh, maybe in May or June, I don't know when it was, and called the guy to come out there, and he said, yep, you got squirrels up here. He said, yeah, in fact, over the years, you've had all sorts of things up here, but uh, uh, whatever. And so uh, uh, we began to deal with that, and, and they would, they would, we have these cedar wood eaves, and they would chew a hole right through the eave, and that's how they'd get in. And so uh, he goes in there, and he puts all this metal bracing, and so they chew and hit the metal and then they keep chewing this way until the metal stopped and then they'd go in ah we got you <laughs> and uh, you know and they're laughing at us and and all this stuff and uh you know then I'm up there checking on it and they were chewing through the wires well they can burn your house down that is when I declared war I've never been a hunter I'm a Chicago boy but I became a hunter <laughs> for these little red squirrels not the gray squirrels these little red ones, they're cute, but I'm going to tell you, they're not cute when they're you know, chewing the wires that can burn your house down. All of a sudden, that's out the door, and so we declared war. Well, long story short, we finally got them out of the attic, but then they got into another spot down on the main level. Uh, if you step out onto the uh, back uh, deck, uh, there's a uh, door that goes down to the basement. There's a slanted roof. There's a cedar wood corner right there. Boom, they went right in. So at least we got them out of the attic. So I thought, well, okay, I, I guess I can let them live there for a while because <laughs> I don't want them in the attic. They're waking me up. Oh, but then I found a dead squirrel in the furnace. And I thought, man, I don't know where they're penetrating in this house. I got to deal with this. And so, uh, you know, we tried several different things. People gave me their ideas and whatever. Finally, my brother-in-law just said, here, take my pellet rifle. <laughs> so in 2016, we killed 30. Red school, squirrels. Now, some of you are sympathetic with the squirrels. You need to be sympathetic with me. <laughs> I want you to know, my wife got into this, man. She got good. I mean, she was like Elmer Fudd, you know. <laughs> uh, she was out there. My son, my son got one at 50 yards, right? We don't count them unless they fly out of the tree. <laughs> uh, you know, we see that, you know, that, uh, as they go. And uh, it's amazing, the, the different uh, gyrations. Uh, I shouldn't go into all that. But... Uh, <laughs> I tell these stories in Europe, and they think, man, you are really this, you know, they, I mean, the European mindset, you know, one lady said, were you filled with the Spirit? <laughs> she said, did you pray about it? I said, yes, ma'am, I did. <laughs> well, the next summer we got less, because there were less out there, <laughs> but they were still in there. The next summer, 2018, we got 26. Well, this is still a pain, you know. So, when it came to the wintertime, of uh, 2019, I think it was. At any rate, uh, I had a moment where I thought, okay, I think they're out of the hole. So what I did is I just stuck a piece of wood in there. I didn't want to stop it all the way up because I didn't want them to chew a hole back up in the top. <laughs> so I stuck this piece of wood in there, and I thought, okay, if the wood's out, then they're back in. If the wood stays there, then okay, maybe they're out in the woods and not in the house. So uh, uh, I left, came back a month or two later, that piece of stick that Wood was still in there. I thought, oh, wow, they haven't gotten back in. Man, we might lick this thing. And uh, I was out for another tour of meetings, came back. That stick was still there. Like that was March or something. I don't remember. Came back in May. The stick was out. They were in. Oh, man. So now I'm just, you know, fed up with it. Now I'm a city boy. I don't know anything about any of this. So I tried something. I thought, well, let me, let me give this a shot. I took a, uh, a glue board, you know, that you use to catch mice, those those boards that have that really sticky stuff on them, you know what I'm talking about? 
And this is one of the flat ones that you have to fold up, so different than the tub kind. And I just took the rectangular flat kind of went to that hole and went, boom. <laughs> now, this is when I knew they were in it. And I thought, well, at least, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. They're going to at least get a sticky nose, uh, whatever, on their way out. Uh, you know, I don't know. I just, I just thought I'd do this. Well, next morning, big old hole. They chewed right through it. <laughs> How'd they do that? Oh, so now they're out having fun for the day, laughing, having a good time at the humans, you know. And so I got another one, and I thought, well, to get in that hole, to go back in tonight, they got you know, to climb up the, the little uh, wood post here. So I took another one and I faced it out and stuck it under the, uh, the one that was faced down. I stuck it underneath to catch the uh, glue. So now it's face out. They got to go over that to get in. I stuck one this way and this way and on the corner. Those were the two angles that they had to go. And I said, I don't know if it'll catch them on the way in. They move pretty fast, but you never know. <laughs> well, <laughs> I went to bed that night. And next morning, I went out. And sure enough, there's a red squirrel hanging from the glue board. So last night, that means he's been up there all night. So the night before, he goes in, and he gets stuck. And man, I'm sure he went ballistic at the time, but he was out of energy, you know. And so uh, uh, I uh, came out in the morning, and as soon as he saw me, man, he went ballistic again. But he was stuck. I mean, it was three paws in the tail. <laughs> I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me, and he's, you know, he's trying to get off. He could not get off for anything. So then I thought, now what do I do? <laughs> you know, I don't know anything about this hunting stuff, and I don't eat squirrels, <laughs> and so on. So uh, I thought, well, I can't just let them die a slow death. You know, that'd be kind of mean. And so I took the pellet rifle at short range and ended his problem. <laughs> and within moments, he fell off the glue board. And I remember thinking to myself, wait a second, I, uh, he... he he tried like everything to get off. He couldn't get off. But when he died, he fell off. In fact, over the next couple of days, I caught two more. And as soon as they died, I don't know if the fur released out of their skin. I don't know what happened. But when they died, they would fall off. Do you get the picture? See, we're bonded. We're stuck to that old sin master. Prior to salvation, it's forced slavery. We're shackled. But friends, Jesus died unto sin once. And when you got saved, you got placed into Jesus. You're baptized into him, which means you died with him unto sin. You got unstuck. You see, there's something about that death, just like they would, they'd die and then they'd fall off. They're unstuck. Okay, when you died with Jesus, you died unto sin. You got unbonded, unglued, unstuck, unshackled, unchanged, set free forever. So there's our first fact. You died with Christ. The second fact is you rose with Christ. If you got placed in his history... His history is not only the fact that he died, but it's also that he rose. And this is exactly what the text says in verse 5. For if we have been planted together, in other words, united together in that baptism, in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. There it is. And now we're going to see that through the resurrection with Christ, the old you, that old man, was now raised a new you, a new man, and was joined to a new leader, the indwelling Christ through the Holy Spirit. So the simplicity is the old man dies with Christ. and He's raised the new man. By the way, where's the old man? 
He's gone forever. Now the sin master's still hanging around. You say, well, what part, is that the old, what part of that is the old nature? I don't know. The Bible doesn't use the terminology old nature. <laughs> There's the turf of our flesh, and when it's used for evil, then it's used in a negative sense. But then there's the sin master, and then there's the old man. Well, after salvation, the old man's gone. Now, the sin master's still hanging around. But you're unstuck. You're set free. But that old man has now died with Christ. He's raised the new man, which according to Romans 7, verse 4, across the page, is so that you might be joined a new relationship to another, even to him who was raised from the dead. So the old man dies with Christ. He's raised a new man, and now he's joined to Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. You got fused to Jesus. Now, the new man is what we saw at the end of the message last night. That's that new man, which according to Ephesians 4.24, is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. That's why you're called a saint 63 times. That part of you is righteous. That's the new creation of 2 Corinthians 5.17. That's the part that is described, as we saw yesterday, last night, in 1 John 3.9, as God's seed, literally God's sperma. Something of the nature of God was implanted into you, and that nature is righteous, and that nature is holy, and that nature is loving, and that nature is good, and that is the nature that God put in you. That's why Jesus is called the second man. He's the last Adam taking the sins of the race to the cross, but he's the second man because all who believe in him have his nature placed into them. You're a part of a new race. And there's no racism in that race, by the way. And there's texts that deal with that, but I won't take the time for that now. But you're a part of that race. You see, God's seed, God's nature has been planted into you. That's provision. God's nature implanted so that God's spirit would then come in and join right there. So just as you have husband and wife, one flesh, here's regenerated spirit and Holy Spirit. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. That's amazing. And now you're joined to a new leader. Now, what's interesting, the new leader doesn't force us. The old master, I use the word master because it was force. Forced slavery. Now, you're set free from that guy. You're joined to Jesus. But I use the terminology new leader because he doesn't force us. In fact, if you so choose, you can go serve that old sin master, though you're not joined to him anymore. We've all done it. It's called walking after the flesh. But it's no longer forced slavery. It's now voluntary service that's foolish. You say, why, does, why doesn't God just force us? Friends, he doesn't want us to be robots. He wants a love relationship. A love response. A faith response. An active cooperation to his leadership and his power. But there it is. We're now joined to him. And friends, when you access him, who's joined to your spirit. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, there's only one overcoming life. His name is Jesus. There's only one victorious life. His name is Jesus. Thanks be to God, who's giving us the victory. Our Lord Jesus Christ. See, he's the victorious life. There's only one higher life. His name is Jesus. There's only one deeper life. His name is Jesus. You see, 
Jesus, He's the liberating life. You see, in Him, we were set free from that sin master. We're now joined to Jesus. And when, as you will see, through faith, you access Him, His life counteracts and overcomes. You know, if somebody's out in the water and they're about to drown, they don't know how to swim, and somebody throws out that life vest, and they reach up and put their arms through that life vest, they put on the life vest, then that buoyancy of the vest counteracts and overcomes the sinking ten tendency. And in like fashion, friends, we can put on Jesus. And it's fascinating how this works, because there's a part that's done, but there's an access of faith. But when that access is there, this principle of counteraction, as the old writers put it, uh, writers from the fundamentals, where a greater law counteracts and overcomes a lesser law. See, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus frees us from the law of sin and death. You see, that sin master, he's still there. And whenever there's a trigger in the world, his default is go for it. But he's not you. The real you is the new man. The real you is righteous. The real you is holy. The real you is joined to Jesus. And the default of the real you is Jesus every time. And friends, when you go with that default, you access Jesus. And his life counteracts and overcomes the world and the flesh every time. He never fails. And so, what an amazing provision. You are joined to Jesus. And there's a third fact, and we'll just touch on this, and you don't need to turn there. But in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, we also learn that we not only died with Christ and rose with Christ, we were ascended. We've ascended with Christ unto the throne. And through that ascension, the new you has been seated with Christ, because you're in him, at the throne, which we're told is far above the enemy. So in Ephesians 1 and 2, we're told that God displayed his mighty power, verse 19 and following, when he raised Christ from the dead and set him at his own right hand, far above all principality and power. Chapter 2, and you, and you, seated together. Raised together and seated together in Christ. In that spirit realm, the spiritual realm, it's called the heavenly places. Now look, if Christ sits right now on the throne, the right hand of the Father, in the spirit dimension, far above all principality and power, and you're in him, where does that put you in relation to all principality and power? Far above. Now friends, we need to understand this is not figurative, it's literal, it's just that it's spiritual, not physical. Physically, we're right here in Chesapeake, Virginia. Spiritually, every child of God in this room, you're at the throne right now. You're on the throne because you're in Jesus and he's on the throne. So Ruth Paxton, missionary of China, 1930s, puts it this way. In Christ. Oh, man, I love this statement. In Christ, we are as far above the power of Satan as Christ is. See, God identifies you with Christ's life. Therefore, with his history, that's his death. That's when you're severed from the sin master. His resurrection, that's when you're joined to Jesus, the new leader, and with his throne seat through that ascension. You know what's so neat about this? That's our provision to deal with the enemy. Christ is in us to deal with the down here world and the flesh. But you're in him to deal with the up there spiritual warfare arena. And you know, this isn't based on your spiritual maturity or how long you've been saved. 
I just uh, last year read the story in the account uh, in the book Bone of His Bone by Hugo. He tells the uh, story of a, uh, an incident in China where a distraught father whose daughter was demon-possessed came to the uh, pastor, this Chinese pastor, and, and uh, knew that maybe that man could help him with his daughter and, and that the, the pastor was gone that day, but the pastor's son was there, best I can tell a teenager. And this father was distraught because the pastor wasn't there and the son said, I'll go with you. I've seen father do it. That's pretty amazing. And he said, I know how. So he goes. He said on the way he confessed his sins. That's why I think this was a teenager. And he cried out to God for help. But when he got there, he saw the man's daughter writhing on the floor, foaming at the mouth. Can you imagine this scene? Kind of foreign to our American mind, but this stuff happens around the world all the time. And he saw this this girl. Here's a teenager, but he's in Christ, and therefore he's on the throne. The authority is not the teenager. The authority is Jesus. But we are the body that has to exercise it. It's called faith. And so the son said, as he looked at that girl, in the name of Jesus Christ. He's referring to, he's addressing the, the enemy in the girl. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I say to you, go forth. And immediately, apparently the demons left because she was free. Now look, here's a teenager. This is not based on your age. It's not based on how long you've been saved. It's not based on on our performance. It's based on Christ's performance. He won the victory. He said it's finished. He won the victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. He's on the throne right now, far above the enemy, and he has all authority, and he delegates it to us. And when we exercise his authority, when you submit yourself to God and you resist the devil, the devil has to flee. You see, the devil's at a disadvantage in the spiritual realm. You know, his, his, his final defeat will be fully manifested in the book of Revelation. He was defeated at the cross. That will be fully manifested at the, in the book of Revelation. I guess a better way to say that. But in the spiritual realm, he's at a disadvantage because in the spiritual realm, right now, he's totally defeated. And when a child of God exercises Christ's authority, he has to run. Wow, much more could be said. So... God identifies you with Christ's life. God identifies you with Christ's history, death, resurrection, ascension. And finally, God identifies you with Christ's acceptance. I love this. Ephesians 1.6 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. Now, friends, the acceptance is not based on how well you perform. Praise the Lord. (laughs) So don't buy the devil's lie. Hey, you're too defeated. There's no way. God's ticked at you. Now we saw yesterday. Forget that stuff. That's a totally wrong mindset. You are accepted in Christ. And as we saw yesterday, the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. John 15, 9, John 17, 23. The Father loves you. The Father said, this is my beloved son. Well, we're accepted in the beloved. There it is. And therefore the Father loves us as much as he loves the Son. That's what the Bible says. So this idea, well, you know, you know, I just don't measure up. Look, Jesus measured up for you. <laughs> See, you're accepted in the beloved. And therefore you have access by faith. Romans 5.2. In whom? Jesus. We have access by faith 
into this grace wherein we stand. Now, here's what's interesting. We already read it in Galatians 3. It says, For as many of you have, as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Done deal. Well, then why does Romans 13, when it gets to the application of things in this book of Romans, say in verse 14, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, that's kind of strange. Galatians says, you have put on Christ. Romans says, put on Christ. Here's the point. As a matter of fact, you have put on Christ. You're in him and you are enveloped with him because he moved into you. In that sense, yes, you put on Christ. But Romans is saying, Faith is the access. And see, without faith, you don't benefit. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. You can try to please him all you want to, but without faith, you won't. And see, the faith is, is accessing. It takes the facts and turns them into function. Ah, the faith access. See, God's econ in God's economy, the cash is faith which is not a work. It's always a response to God's stirring. And when he stirs you, that means it's his will. And when you respond to God based on truth, then he enables according to what he said. And that's the economy of God. And so put on, take hold of this provision. Thanks be to God who is giving us the victory. If he is giving, we need to be taking and say thank you. It says thanks be unto God. Now look, if somebody gave you a hundred dollar bill, if you were smart, what would you do? <laughs> Take it. And if you're courteous, what would you say? Okay, there we go. It's that simple. The only difference is that phys that's physical and this is spiritual. He is giving us Jesus, the victory, himself. Well, if he's giving, well, don't just walk away from it. That'd be rude. Take it! Thank you, Lord. And that thank you means you believe you have received. And it's in the present tense. In other words, God wants us to regularly keep taking. New need arises. Thank you. You may not feel anything. In fact, your feelings may be everywhere else. But you by faith say, God, I'm taking you. Thank you. And that's when you experience Jesus as his life counteracts and overcomes the issues that you're facing. That's how you life stream from the throne. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.